Hi, hello everybody. Welcome to the film room. We've got a big topic this week, so we're just going to get right to it. Mm -hmm. uh, this week we're looking at adult animation uh, in film and in the West. Um, we're predominantly focusing on film. We're going to have to talk a little bit about TV, and so there's going to be a little bit of bleed. Mm -hmm. But we want to get to we're kind of we're going to kind of focus on a central question here, which is. What is with the state of adult animation in America and uh, and Canada, you know, Western, so to speak? Mm -hmm. And why is it so damned bad? Because there's no getting around it. It's a pretty limited field in America. And the reason that we're focusing on American and Western is because we don't have time to get into European uh, animation, which is a strange, weird, wonderful thing unto itself. We don't have time to get into um, anime because that is a massive realm and people mm -hmm. have done lengthy podcasts just on that. Anime mm -hmm. is its own beautiful thing, but I, I bring up anime to make a point. In Japan, you can have animated films based on anything. Um... I mean, I know we all think of stuff like Ghost in the Shell, Nakira, and of course the Miyazaki films, which... Have we all gotten to see a Miyazaki in the theaters? Yes. No. Yes. Uh, Albert, what did you see? I saw, uh, while it was still new, uh, The Wind Rises. Ooh, cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to see Ponyo. Um, nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all know the epic amount of really high quality stuff they have but you can have anything you know they do romantic comedies in animation form there they do serious mm. biopics um yeah they, my I, uh my father got into the deep deep rabbit hole of uh of um japanese animated movies yeah it is quite impressive what they put out they did an adaptation of a book that i deeply loved and i didn't I didn't get the, I hadn't had the interest in seeing it when it played theaters. Um, the beautiful poetic um, "I Want to Eat Your Pancreas," which the title makes sense in context. Oh, which because it, it is not about cannibalism. It is it's 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 a sweet end joke. Um, I haven't okay. seen the movie version, but let me tell you that the ending of that story is as epic a gut punch as any that has ever been put in print. You think you know where it's going. You're certain you know where it's going. And they play fair with you when it gets where it's going. But it builds to such an epic, holy shit moment of shock. I, I, I need to see this movie. Um, so we, but, but I'm making a point, which is Japan has everything. I have manga sitting on my desk right now, actually. And it's racing manga. It's racing manga, of all things. Mm-hmm. This would, of course, be Maka Go Go Go, uh, the complete hardcover set of that, which, of course, inspired a film that Albert and I uh, covered a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we can insert the Speed Racer theme here. Uh, so, so that so in Japan you can do anything, and to some degree, kind of you can see that across the board. You know, in Europe, you, you see some stuff there. It's not as varied, but it's there. And then you get to Western animation, and it's a... You get one of two kinds of films. 
you get family films, and you get smutty, vulgar, leering comedies. And that's it. You either get family comedies, you know, family action adventure, you know, etc. but family films. Or you get shock value films. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's, there are, we will discuss some exceptions, but there's not many. Hmm. Zephyr, would you agree with me on this? Uh, I'm telling you the mainstream. Let me be clear. I'm telling you the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because the very few exceptions I've found are mostly within the indie circuit or self-released and in the case mm-hmm. of a few artists or mm-hmm. publicly funded as of late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there is, of course, one major exception in terms of uh, adventure, action adventure stuff, and we will cover it during this cast. And spoilers for people with good memories, we have already covered it to a degree. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get to this. So, I mean, I... I feel like the, the thing to start with is what got Western animation going in the first place. And I think that that, and I, and I, and I do this, I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes, but I do this to say, this is where it got started. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is where it began. And it, of course it begins with Snow White. Now, Disney. yes, Disney. Now, of course, many people will point out that there were other animators trying full length stuff there are arguments about what the actual first full-length film is. Well, here's the thing. Snow White is considered the first full-length animated film in the States. Uh Let me be clear. In the States. And Disney has prided itself on that for its entire brand. However, and I have to go with my film history here, you want full-length stuff before Snow White, you're looking at Lottie Ranger's uh, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed with mm-hmm. beautiful cut-out silhouette illustrations. Yeah. And that was a whole decade before Snow White. Mm-hmm. So, for all intents and purposes, Snow White is big, it's historically important, but within the confines of the United States. Yeah. And don't let Disney tell you different. And I don't know. Is it just me or is Snow White not actually all that good? It. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. It tries. Okay. Disney was still, well, the animation style within the House of Mouse was trying to move away from the uh, rubber arm type animation you found a lot in the 20s. Yeah. With like the Max Fleischer and some of their early silly symphonies they did. And Snow White is one where it it's more about trying to capture human movement. I mean, it's still stylized to a certain degree. Certainly the dwarves. It, it's, yeah. But like everything else before that was highly stylized or essentially anthropomorphic. The early stuff, it, 
it's difficult to sit through, not going to lie. If anything, the first adult animated film Disney released would be Fantasia. And I was gonna, I was building to Fantasia. I did want to quickly note, however, that Pinocchio bangs like a screen door in a hurricane. <laughs> Pinocchio rules. I, I just, I gotta say that Pinocchio is Pinocchio deserves all the classic status it has. It's, oh. it's, it's the gold standard. Um, gorgeous animation, funny, exciting, scary. But, but, but let's talk about scary too. Actually scary. It's legitimately terrifying. Um, but let's talk about yeah. uh, Fantasia because. Fantasia is a flashpoint. It's probably the definitive flashpoint in this entire cast. Disney wanted to do more. He wanted to go adult. He wanted to... He wanted to go that next step. I trust we've all seen Fantasia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantasia is art. Fantasia is just freaking art. And what it could have been frustrates me. Disney wanted it to be such a an important experiment, and this is a true story. Do you know when the first nationwide release of Fantasia was? When? I guarantee you, you're not going to get the year. But take 19, a guess. Nineteen forty. Not at all. No. Nope. The very first nationwide. Theatrical release of Fantasia was 1990. Really? It roadshowed, but it didn't get a full nationwide release until 1990. And even then, it was fairly limited. That, that's right, because... They want to type for, it for the video. Yeah, and the video is actually a different cut. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the, well, the way different. you can tell... Which cut you're watching is when the Fantasia title card comes up. Mm-hmm. The original version is at intermission. Yeah. Hmm. The original home video release is at the very front. Right. And omits the intermission. Yeah. But it it obviously has been the the original version as we know is out on Blu-ray. It actually looks stunning in Blu-ray. Please, for the love of God, get it's, it on Blu-ray. It's a reference quality film. It is. it is, and it. I mean, God, the music sounds. It's it's all fantastic, artful. You know, classic music for a reason. Yes, mm-hmm. and like some of the more abstract points, like like the very first piece, are not necessarily... Well, I, let me be clear. It's very different than what Disney has done, mm-hmm. but it's doing abstract animation like that has always existed. Yeah. Look at the works of Len Lai and Oscar Fischinger. It, those are more or less templates of what Disney did for parts of Fantasia and later on down the line, Fantasia 2000. Which I, which I did see in theater. I got to see that in IMAX. Yeah. Fantasia 2000 is pretty good. I, yeah. I, I don't consider it quite on the same tier as the first one, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of, I think, a little bit more watered down. Yeah. Uh, it's very watered down. 
Uh, that said, the Rhapsody in Blue sequence is fantastic. That's, that's uh, oh, the, 100%. The that's Alan Hirschfeld. Yeah, that's the, that's the only thing I think of uh, when I think of Fantasia 2000. I think it's, the only, I think it's the only really notable sequence in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I just The thing about Fantasia, uh, the original, is there is one sequence in it that I think points to what we could have had with animation, and there's a couple of sequences that are amazing. Mm-hmm. Chernabog is iconic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think about the dinosaur sequence, and I think about how we didn't get we didn't get Edgar Rice Burroughs animated in the in the 1930s and 40s, and I would have killed to have seen what that would have looked like. A good animated John Carter of Mars would have blown my mind. Um, as it stands, Ooh. the movie that we have, the live action movie, is pretty good I'm, I'm actually more of a fan of it than a lot of people but man that stuff belonged in animation and we didn't get it and it kills me um and that's and i bring that up because that is one that i know there was discussion of doing it in that age and it didn't come together flash gordon all you look at all the pulps and we didn't get cartoons of them in that era there was one cartoon that we there was one pulp property that we did get animation of the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, mm-hmm. um, and and those kind of those kind of straddle the line. They played for kids, but they're very adult. They're very, very adult actually. Um, they're very violent. There's there's some edge to them. There's some teeth to them, um, and they're actually public domain for something due to like a real fluke. I don't know how Warner Brothers has not gotten that stuff locked down, but they're mm-hmm. public domain. They're public domain. That's good to know. Now, Warner Brothers, yeah, you can get them at archive.org. Uh, that's where I got my copy. Um, or literally any third party distributor yeah. at, yeah. you know, your Dollar Tree or whatever. And Warner Brothers, I should point out, does have their own version. They do have their own special features laden version that's mm-hmm. been remastered, etc. But as I said, I think Fantasia failing as badly as it did, and Disney sulking back and going, okay, we're not going to do this. We're going to do the kids' stuff. Mm-hmm. And frankly, Disney going into the decline that they went into, I don't think people realize how long Disney, the Disney animation department's decline was. Mm-hmm. I don't think people even remotely register how long Disney went into decline and was really kept afloat by merchandise and by re-releases of their classic stuff because after Walt died it was ashes until well that's where it gets to people giving their variants um, but undeniably it was the Little Mermaid and we're going to come back to that one and mm-hmm. we're going to come back to that one because that was a flashpoint too but as I said, we're going to look at, at adult animation and there's there's really no way to discuss adult animation in the seventies without Zephyr, take it away. Let's let's talk about Ralph Bakshi. Yes. Let's... Okay, so we're looking at year nineteen seventy two and Ralph Bakshi, who was an animator at Terry Tunes for a while. Yep. He released his first theatrical film. Fritz the Cat. God damn it. Mostly noteworthy for being the first X-rated animated 
film in America. I'm telling you that this movie set the tone for what you would get for adult animation. Mm. For good, frankly. And I've seen it. It's, uh... Here, huh. Okay, here's the thing about Fritz the Cat. Mm-hmm. The best way to view that film is observing it as a time capsule, because mm-hmm. that's primarily what the film itself is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And seeing how a lot of shit has not changed, especially when you get into the sequence when Fritz goes down into Crow territory uh-huh. and, and tries to race plane to the pool player that he knows the you know he studied the race problem and and whatnot and like even the sequence at the beginning when the three girls are in the park and are trying to prove their allyship to the one crow mm-hmm. i've personally i find it hilarious because it's still going on yeah. Nothing has fucking changed. It is, but I'm like feeling nauseated listening to this. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like maybe you're not the guy to do this. You're white, white, but also uh, growing up Jewish. True. In, in less than favorable parts of town, he has some small justification and what what would show up in some of his later works some of his more autobiographical works however that doesn't give him the full voice of trying to tell the story of fritz the cat and even r crumb has said in the uh, terry zweigoff documentary that uh, he didn't like the film he he hated it so much he killed fritz Oh, yeah. really? Yes. He hated wow. it so much. He was furious with the film. Um, mm. Now, we, we could point out, by the way, that Robert Crumb is, to those who are well aware, out of his mind, uh-huh. might be the way to put it. Uh, that was very much the whole point of the movie, was him being out of his mind. You know what I mean? No, like, that I was, know. I know that um, he did not like his portray, like James Arbaniak's portrayal of him in uh, American Splendor. But how accurate is it? And it's funny because I actually think that Arbaniak does a very loving performance in that. Yeah, I think it's a. Pr- I, I actually it's. Side note: American Splendor is a live action film, but screw it, we got a second. Holy shit, y'all mm-hmm. need to see American Splendor if you haven't. American oh, it's Splendor wonderful. Is so amazing start to finish probably the best lead role paul giamatti ever got so i i I love american splendor i am happy to pause and go oh yeah yeah you guys see this Mm -hmm. agreed (sighs) but we get off track um happily because that's one yeah so Mm -hmm. after fritz uh back she went on to do Heavy Traffic, which is a lot more uh, auto- autobiographical, where it's an underground cartoonist. Uh, it, it's a slice-of-life film. 
the, the thing about Bakshi, though, when since I binge watched his theatrical stuff, mm-hmm. you can see an evolution in his style, but also at the same time bringing some underground comic sensibilities into animation that we haven't quite seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And some of that still stands out and is something that should be studied to an extent. However, uh, honestly, if you absolutely want to go through Bakshi's work, my stance is Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic, Wizards, and then uh, American Pop. That's it. You can skip the rest. And I know what you're thinking. What about Lord of the Rings? Let's talk, let's pause and talk about that one for a second because I have some thoughts on that one. It's ugly as hell. It is. It, it is fucking ugly. Like there are, like this film. I swear to God, was the influence for the Zelda CDI cutscenes. It is. And I think, Albert, please, for the love of God, please put some of those cutscenes in here. <laughs> I, here's the thing about Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think, number one, it stopped the anime. There was kind of a rising sense of maybe we were going to get a big adult animated film, and Lord of the Rings was such a high-tier property. But here's the thing about Lord of the Rings, and you're all thinking this. There's a three-movie version of the book that's perfect. That's a masterpiece. Why the hell would you watch that shit? And here's the thing. Lord of the Rings, the Backstreet version, is technically influential to the Peter Jackson films to some extent. There are videos of uh, shot-by-shot scene comparisons. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can see that Jackson used Bakshi's work as reference. However, sure. the use of rotoscoping within Lord of the Rings, it's not good. No, now, it's when, not. when it was used in Wizards, it was a very stylistic choice because all the rotoscoping was done for the evil literal fascist side Mm -hmm. it's unsettling yes it is unsettling but that's the point it's a smart decision yes it is um because rotoscoping looks off it looks wrong to the eye it is and the use of it in lord of the rings it's not good. It looked far worse in the incredibly forgettable high epic fantasy Fire and Ice. Which, holy God, was that a slog. You know, Frank Frazetta draws... He drew images. He drew... He drew what he thought the world looked like. And the world to him looked like a mix of cocaine... And steroids. 
And by the way, this makes perfect sense if you've ever seen pictures of Frank Frazetta. Do you know what he looked like? Nope. Frank Frazetta looked like the men he drew. There are pictures of him beside Clint Eastwood. And Eastwood looks like a... He looks like a joke next to Frazetta. He was this giant mountain of a man. And look, his art is very cool in stills. But there is a reason that he was a still artist. You know what I mean? He wasn't a comic book artist. He wasn't Will Eisner. He wasn't Jack Kirby, who Jack Kirby was another one. You look at pictures of this guy and you're like, yeah, I hope nobody actually tried to fight this guy because they would have gotten their asses kicked. Um, you know, yeah, I, my stance on Bakshi is he's important in that he was trying. I just don't yeah. know that I like his work that much. I just, I don't. And again, with Lord of the Rings, another thing that I'll point out is they tried to adapt the first book and a half in like, what, it's 100 minutes or so? Yeah, two. It, it's over two hours. Okay. That's still condensing a hell of a lot. Yeah. Just, just watch the nine and a half hours that we have in live action if you want to watch Lord of the Rings. And you should, because again, those movies are perfect and I don't know why I'm hyping the Lord of the Rings movies. What do you think the odds are that anybody that's listening to this cast hasn't seen those movies multiple times? And you mentioned, yeah. too, too, by the way, the, the Terry Tunes influence. I want to point out that if you go back and watch the Terry Tunes stuff, that stuff is trippy as hell, and I love it. Terry Tunes? Yeah, yes. where Ralph Bakshi got started. You go and look at some of this stuff. It's really great. Um, now, I will point out that there was one thread of animation that was for kids, but that was extremely popular with adults. That was Bugs Bunny. The Looney Tunes stuff was huge with adults. Uh, there's a great legendary story about Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing getting kicked out of the theater for laughing so hard at that stuff. And I just think, I just think that's a cool as hell image. But again, that's for kids. To some also, extent, I mean, let, let's, not, let's not forget all the World War II cartoons because oh, no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to bring up. Yeah, there was so much. They made propaganda. Yeah, Warner Brothers and Disney alike <laughs> are did their share to fight uh, in the war. On the Warner Brothers side, you, yeah, you did have some wartime cartoons. Some. <clears throat> Uh, some of them on the censored eleven list. Yeah, some of the ones for good reason they should be. Yeah, yeah. but censored eleven does not mean they're gone. It means they're handled with extreme caution. Very much so. Haven't they? And, did, haven't they done some very limited releases of them? Um, you you have to dig. You have to dig. Yeah, you have to dig. Through third-party distributors. Okay, there we go. What does oh, censored sure. eleven mean? Okay, you... okay. The censored eleven, according to Wikipedia, is a group of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies cartoons originally and produced by Warner Brothers that were withheld from syndication in 1968. Uh, these specific eleven cartoons are have also been removed from broadcast because of. Uh, the ethnic stereotypes in cartoons, specifically African stereotypes, which were deemed too offensive for contemporary audiences. And this mm -hmm. is 
still the case. Now, yes. the list of, of these include the likes of Uncle Tom's Bungalow. Oh, Jungle, I that one. Uh, Jungle Jitters, The Isle of Pingo Pongo. Oh, boy. Coal Black and the Seven Dwarves. I I feel like... Goldilocks and the Jiving Bears. And some some of this stuff, some of these scenes, if my memory serves me right, show up in the final montage in Bamboozled. Uh, And for for good reason. And for good reason, because Mm -hmm. those fucking names alone... Oh god, I'm sick of hearing them. Like, uh, do any of those show up when they uh, when they release the Looney Tunes collection and they put the uh, slap the uh, label on them? Ah, uh, yes, the official label. Um, mm-hmm. uh, word has. Uh, word I shouldn't about... say. Sorry, I shouldn't say. Just they slapped them on. Like that was a very tasteful handling. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and I want okay. I'll get to the handling in a bit, but mm-hmm. word about releasing the censored 11 as a whole has been in talk since late 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, there's very little that, that has happened. Mm. And The potential for a release is much more likely than Song of the South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never <laughs> seen a light of day. Actually gives a damn no. about their history of animation. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, um, let, let's talk about their handling because how Warner Brothers and Disney do those releases are very different. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very different. Um, Warner Brothers... Uh, at the start of their DVDs, I forget which particular collection it started in, but it had the image of saying, look, these cartoons, they have some bad shit in them, but rather than saying they didn't exist, we are going to show them for historical purposes mm-hmm. and as an educational opportunity so that we can learn why these are wrong and why mm-hmm. we shouldn't do them. It was a simple text image. Mm-hmm. But it was Disney. Disney. And, and yep. uh, they also brought in, I think one of them had Whoopi Goldberg. Like they had, they actually did have intros to them. Yeah, yes. some of them mm-hmm. did have intros. And Disney mm-hmm. did the same thing as well for their uh, uh, Walt Disney uh, treasure releases. The the things that uh, came in the silver tin that were limited edition. Yeah, right. And for that, they brought Leonard Moulton in, oh. which yeah. I'm not a fan of Moulton himself, personally. <laughs> and the way that he went about it was more of like the kindly uncle that was trying to guard your eyes from seeing something that you shouldn't. Oh, wow. It... Mm. That kind of shit did not sit well with me. Even, Um. like, if you're gonna put a warning in at the front, do do it as a text, 
Let's read for ourselves and mm-hmm. don't hold our hand. Mm-hmm. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about Malton is he is a Disney show. Very yes. much so. Yeah, and I respect the guy. He, he seems like a cool guy, but he's a Disney show. And yeah, mm-hmm. he was not the guy to do it to bring in. Also, he's super white. Yeah, very, imagine that. Very white. So. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> no, I was, I was sure as hell going to say it. I couldn't wait to say it. I was giddy to say it. So, yeah, I, was, I was waiting for y'all. <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like, and it's it's kind of important that we're talking about these cartoons that were censored. Because, you know, this stuff did become, this stuff did become known in the 60s. There really was a sense during the civil rights movement. Now, let's be clear. This stuff was always considered offensive. Uh, I would remind people there was an NAACP protest of the premiere of Gone with the Wind. Uh, I, I want to remind people, uh, or no, it, was, uh, it wasn't that. It was, uh, it was even better. It was, which one, um, God damn it, why am I not thinking? Birth of a Nation. None of this stuff is new. But I think it is to some degree relevant here because to some degree... I know I said this before we were casting. I really feel like it comes down to the people that we got doing the anime, doing adult animation in the 1970s. It was the underground comics guys, basically on film. You didn't have a lot of mainstream efforts trying. Now, Bakshi did get pretty mainstream. I want to point out Um, most of his films came out by major studios, actually. Are y'all still there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bakshi did actually get mainstream distribution. Uh, the studios actually did get behind him, and I give them that. Um, was Wizards? It was a Paramount, wasn't it? Uh, I I don't remember. I let me look that up. But you you see my point. He had money, but he was he still did. very much doing. Uh, he was still very much doing the underground comics. He was the underground comics guy. Um. Actually, it's 20th Century Fox that put it out, uh, just to be clear. He was the underground comics guy, basically. He was he was not the mainstream. He was the underground comics guy. Comics guy and that's just what you had. Um, and I should point out, by the way, uh, Wizards actually did pretty fantastic. Um, $2 million budget, and it did $9 million. So you can see why he was able to work for a while. You can see. Yeah, uh, I want to point that out. And Wizards is really well remembered. Um, it is. But again, I noted these were the underground comics guys. Um, I, the thing is, and I'm going to I'm building. Go on. Okay. I want to hear what you want to have to say because you may be about to build to the same point that I'm about to build to. So go for it, Zephyr. Okay. Uh, well, within the wake of Fritz the Cat. Uh, yep, you are. I'm going to let you take it away because you're going to the same point I was. Yeah, there were imitators. Mm-hmm. Boom. Uh, primarily the Charles Swenson film Down and Dirty Duck. Mm-hmm. Fuck that movie. Yep. What is this film? Okay. The poster has a Donald Duck knockoff smoking a cigar and his hands around the waist of two clearly naked women. Mm. And 
tagline screams madder than Daffy, dumber than Donald, more existential than Howard. Oh, right. Yeah. All right. Those are fighting words there. Those are fighting words there. Um, okay. It, it's a surreal. I honestly can't. For the life of me, I can't remember, but it's also because I don't want to remember the film because it lacks the polish and the sophistication that made Fritz the Cat what it was. Uh, Charles Swenson is probably better known for Twice Upon a Time and, and Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That, that uh, yeah. just, that reaches deep within my childhood. Yeah, Twice Upon a Time is cool as hell. Twice Upon a Time is cool as hell. And is a major, major, like, kind of a ground zero there for um, a lot of animation that you would get later. A lot of people that worked on it went on to do different things. It's it's fascinating and cool. Yes. And even... Henry Selleck even, worked on it, for example. Yeah. Well, besides Down and Dirty Duck, we even had imitators across the pond with Tarzoon's Shame of the Jungle. It's a 1975 adult animated parody of Tarzan, which got Johnny Weissmuller Jr. involved for the English dub. Aha, uh-huh, his dad. Yes. Yeah. Um... The English dub has fucking Christopher Guest and Bill Murray and John Belushi involved. Oh my Ooh. god, why waste such talent? Okay. Ooh. What happens is the Queen of the Jungle, a woman named Bazunga, is... Uh-huh. Not really. Mm. Well, actually, I take that back. June is the queen of the jungle. But she is kidnapped by sentient penis creatures. What? And and taken to an underground lair of that's run by this 14-breasted woman named Bazunga. For, did you say 14? 14 titties, and you see all 14 titties. Uh, is this... Like... Uh, it's yeah. Danish, like, I believe. And... Uh, like, this isn't actually meant to be sexy, right? It's, it's a joke, right? It's a... It's there is a both. There is a sequence involving Tintin beating the shit out of African kids... As he with the crucifix. By the way, by this point, just to be clear, by the way, mm-hmm. they don't, the creators of that had already been uh, Harry had already been like, okay, we're taking the early shit that I did out of circulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not reprinting uh, the Congo. We're, we're actually getting rid of this stuff because even I know this stuff is bad. So, people roll my eyes at that. Well, Herge was nowhere near this. Oh, of course not. Well, no, it's it's parody, obviously, but it's shallow parody is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a highly shallow parody. And there's a 
an extended sequence of goose-stepping Nazi penises that shoot acidic jizz. I feel like you describing this movie is everything... I really do feel like you describing this movie is summing up everything I ever want to say about adult anime, about, like, the smutty adult animation. Like, we don't even have to go through anything else because this is such a perfect summary. We can just list other titles. Essentially, with Tarzun, Shame of the Jungle, yes, it's not Western animation, but the content of it alone is very much Western in the sense that we are so hung up on this exaggerated and worshipped sense of sex and the flesh and objectification that it is entirely less than adolescent. It it really Mm. is. It's it, it really is that every time that we go into this realm, it's to shock us. And, mm. you know, I, I just, I'm going to say it. That's one reason that South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut will always be a film that I hate. Mm-hmm. And I do hate it because, first of all, it's dealing with some extremely raw, real subjects. You know, it mm. isn't so goddamn funny just uh, talking about uh, war with Iraq. You know, mm. I'm sorry. Um it isn't so goddamn funny making fun of the idea of just everything about it. I, I'm sorry. I think it's an incredibly shallow parody. But the thing that I found so grating about it was that every other line was a profanity. And yeah. here's the thing. Yeah, it was it was built that way as purposefully yeah. that way. There's nothing, yeah. and look, if, look, I love Kevin Smith to death. Mm-hmm. I think I think his central run, which is just as filthy, is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But there's heart there. There's always such a good natured, mm-hmm. and it's because Smith really does come across as a good natured, kind person. Oh yeah, you get the feeling that he, you get the feeling that he's one of the good ones. Um, South Park, bigger, longer, and cut just annoyed me. Um, and in time, South Park itself would come to annoy me, just to be blunt. Yeah, uh, I, I can't. I can't watch. I, there was a time I was really into it. Uh, aside from the movie, occasionally, um, like I, I, I can't watch the new stuff. But like, all right, just I, I want to just run through uh, just a, a few of the films that came out. You had a fairy tale porn animated movie. You had mm-hmm. a, uh, it was Once Upon a Girl, I believe is the name of it. Um, you had a bunch of films like that that were, you know, again, pure shock value, pure, oh my God, you know, and, and of course, Cool World, which we will come to in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. is entirely built on that. Um, you had... Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know, can't wait for that because I have thoughts. We all have thoughts. We hate them. Mm-hmm. That's going to be nice. But it really mm-hmm. was about, let's see what we can get away with, you know, the vulgarity, um, and of course that would influence animation in the 90s. Now, I do want to quickly touch on two films that I think are vital flashpoints for change, for basically making animated movies so much better. 
for everyone. Two movies. Um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was live action animated. And we discussed it in an early cast. And uh, it's not a hot take to say it's an absolute classic. Uh, I was lucky enough to see it in the theater. It is as perfectly produced a film as you will ever see. Uh, it really is. Um, and The Little Mermaid. What those two films did was they told studios, hey, if we make animated films as smart as this, maybe everyone will show up. Maybe not just parents, but maybe instead of the parents dropping their kids off for a matinee, they'll stay. And they'll get into it too. And of course, that led to Aladdin, mm-hmm. which stunning racism aside mm-hmm. holy shit that movie is racist it is highly racist like god damn at hmm. least but at least it had robin williams as the genie but holy mm-hmm. shit is that thing racist um there there's a reason why aladdin takes up a has its own separate section in the real bad arabs text mm-hmm. It is. It's 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 bad. Um, it's... And I look. I loved it as a kid too. But we got to be honest. But you really, did, you know, the Lion King. You saw uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Animation stepped up in the '90s and has stayed on that level. Animation has continued mm. to be. Leica, Leica, anybody? Leica. And yes. you know what? I'm glad you bring up Leica because even though they do films for kid for. They really do films for all ages because Paranorman is a kid's first guide to horror. Paranorman is giving a kid everything they're going to need. It's giving them a mountain of references that they're going to later pick up on and go, oh, wait, I know that now. Which, by the way, I think the last time we did a cast on them was very early. Yeah. And uh, I think there have been three or four films since. Uh, they're, they're due for they're due for a revisit. Yeah, we're we're due for a re-up on that one. Yeah, but I, but I mean, so in a way, kind of some of the adults, some of what we were wanting to see with adult stuff, did get taken up. Certainly, I talk about how we don't get romances. Well, Beauty and the Beast kind of really feel, fills that niche amazingly. You know, it is a great gothic romance and. Honestly, it's why I have no interest in the remake because the animated film was perfect. And so I do want to point out that that sophistication did come in. But at the same time, there was another big harbinger. Um, The Simpsons really brought back the idea of the animated sitcom for adults. Now, I think The Simpsons is a pretty all-ages show when it's all said and done. It is. At At least in terms, like if you're 10 and up, you can watch it. Um, I, I do. Want, I have been watching it since three. <laughs> and I think, and I do want to point out, I think the Simpsons movie is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I, we could do a whole cast on everything I love about that movie, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of trying to dance around so that we don't have to make Zephyr discuss what Zephyr is going to discuss. Uh huh. Because there is something that let's talk about John Krypto Lucy. Oh, Yes. Oh, I yes. I recently read, like recently, like a year article. ago. Yeah, the but yeah about yeah the shit he did. Yeah, and, uh, 
I am forever disgusted that I liked any of his stuff. And, well, here's, and here's here's the thing. Ren mm-hmm. and Stimpy, the DVD releases specifically state on the back of the box mm-hmm. that it's intended for an older audience. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. However, the style that Crick Felucci uses mm-hmm. and has since devolved incredibly like what he did in terms of not just Ren and Stimpy but like the title sequence for Troop Beverly Hills that's standard level but as you progress into like adult party cartoon where Bakshi was a guest voice at one point of course he was that's an insult to Bakshi. Mm. Yeah. And how incredibly panned adult party cartoon was because. Yeah. I'm I remember just hearing right some. I remember hearing some weird ass things about it and going, no. I'm going to suggest right now that everybody read the Nathan Rabin write up on this. Um, Nathan Rabin absolutely tore that comment. Tore that show to shreds violently. It is one of the most thorough guttings, and he goes after the man for what a monster he is. Mm -hmm. It is a no holds barred middle finger. It's amazing. I cannot recommend his piece enough. Mm -hmm. It's it's great. I mean, I'm I'm a huge Ravine fan anyway. I think he's one of the funniest guys on the internet. We'll post it. We will. Um, Yeah, and then. We have to know something really important, though, about Ren and Stimpy. And it's real important if we're going to discuss this man. Mm -hmm. Are we aware that he actually had very little control of the show, even at the early outset, and he had none after, like, the first season? Uh, Ren and Stimpy? Yeah. He was kicked to the curb pretty fast. It was well known that the other animators were carrying the show. Part of this was him just being an idiot and screwing around, Another mm-hmm. key part of it was they didn't want to work with him. Yeah. He was a bastard to work with. So let's get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. And all his entire personality and history that we know about him comes to a head with Cans Without Labels, a kickstarted backed film that took six years and over $100,000 to make and he put it on YouTube last year with and turning off the comments because he had to produce something. Mm-hmm. It is the most actively spiteful ugliest sin animation you will ever see. It's ten minutes mm-hmm. when you get past the opening creds that take a minute mm-hmm. and the whole premise is that George Licker uh, has these cans without labels and he forces these two children to eat the contents of one of these cans and he threatens them with the belt. This is fun. Yes, Uh... he threatens him. He threatens them with the belt and 
mm-hmm. says that by the time he's done taking a shit, uh-huh. that that the can's contents are completely gone. Mm-hmm. And so, what the boys do is end up bringing another Crickfalusi side character into the mix, Cigarettes the Cat, who you may remember from the Close But No Cigar video. Ah, yes, I forgot he did that. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry that Weird Al was one of his collaborators. Mm. Yes. Let's Ooh. not forget that. But point being, they try to get a cat to consume the contents. That doesn't go so well. So mm-hmm. instead, a literal fucking deus ex machina character of yet another Donald Duck bastard XP shows up. Mm-hmm. Specifically, so that he can eat the contents of the can. Mm. And when this is George, not funny. no, not at all. George comes out and sees the empty can and is like, "Cool, for your, for your reward, you're gonna eat another fucking can." And then the short ends. Uh, Here, that's... here's the uh-huh. story. Story alone. The thing that is a literal mace to the eye sockets is the animation style. Mm. Because it has considerably devolved since the days of Ren and Stimpy and even Close But No Cigar. If you mm-hmm. remember, he he did a guest spot on The Simpsons doing a couch gag. Why is it? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, and I'm... I'm looking up. I'm looking this up, and uh, show you a system. It's it's gross. Uh huh. It's very gross. It has very basic CGI, and the camera is all over the fucking place. There's no focal point in anything that you see there. (sighs) Hmm. It, it's literally the nail in his coffin. He's done. He's fucked. Who gives a shit? Ooh. It's... I want to point out a, a glorious irony here. He is struggling to find work. He will probably, in all likelihood, he'll have to he'll scrape and do Kickstarters like this for the rest of his life. Do you know who's not struggling for work? This is completely true. The guy that wrote the Ren and Stimpy comic book has a much better career now than he does. Hmm. Do you want to know what he's writing now? What's that? Fantastic Four. Really? Mm-hmm. Dan Slott, who is currently co-writing Marvel's big epic uh, event book, who is currently um, writing Fantastic Four, has been a Marvel mainstay pretty much since that book ended, Marvel just kind of kept him around, kept him doing odd jobs. He did some work at DC. And then in 2000s, he did in 2004, he did an amazing uh, Human Torch Spider-Man miniseries that really got people to notice him. Uh, Fun fact, the first time he ever wrote Spider-Man was in Ren and Stimpy. Uh, Hmm. And 
here's here's why that's notable. He would go on to about a decade long run as the Spider Man writer. Hmm. This is uh, he alter he would alternate with other writers for a period, but for a good portion, he, it was just him. Dan Slott is a force. Uh, you don't. He's a very divisive person. I like his work. I think he's really damn good. So he's doing much better than John Kay. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I just... Uh, um, screw that guy. Um, can, yeah. Can I briefly touch on um, an, an animated movie that I think is important as an interesting footnote? Can we really touch on Bay-Bay's kids here? Because we're not going to have time to do it. There's really yeah. not going to be any space to do it when we do Cool World. And it was a PG-13 mm-hmm. animated film. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty damn important one. Um, how many movies like this do you do we have that are told from uh, a black perspective? Uh, with a black writer, a black director, black voice cast. In Western animation, this is a real rarity. And frankly, I think this one's pretty damn good. I, I think this one, it it's definitely a gem that found an audience on video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, actually has really great animation. It does. Ooh. Now, now the story itself, it, it needs a little polish. A little polish. It it's also a it's also important because without baby's kids, we would not have the proud family. It's completely mm. true. Yep. He's and, the director uh, that created that. Uh, Did not know that. Yeah, Which, now that you know that, go and look at the animation styles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. As well oh, as funny. the as well as the uh, animation for uh, Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog. That's yeah. him. Uh, yeah, that's him. Damn. And that's the best part about that movie running away. I can yeah. see it now. Uh, Keith David's work in it is so great. The animation on that character is so great. Mm-hmm. I kind of hate everything else about that movie. Mm. It go. It really does go to show that okay, it was a black man that did the stuff I actually liked in that movie. Go <laughs> figure. Because yeah. the the other direct the uh, directors were white, and the the writers and directors were white and super white at that. Mm-hmm. Now, with animation having as many writers as there are, I'm sure there were other writers. Uh, I'm sorry, the princess and the frog. It doesn't sit with me. It doesn't. I'm, I'm just it's, say it's it's up its own ass, frankly. Hmm. And I hate yeah, that they they made a big deal. I remember of oh yeah, in this age that we've done uh, strictly CG movies for five years, we're doing another animated movie back to our roots. Could you have made a good looking one? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, uh, that movie it's ugly. It's the mm-hmm. colors. It's the color scheme, frankly. There's mm-hmm. just something oddly off-putting about it. I, I can't say what. But anyway, Keith David's work is great. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to, if, if it's okay, I do want to briefly note that there was one place that you were seeing really good, mature, adult, well-written, animated stories. The kind of things that we're expressing we wish you got on the big screen. Um, and that's in, uh, the animated shows that you get gargoyles, mm-hmm. which has found an audience on Disney plus, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of Keith David, 
speaking of Keith David, because he's incredible on that. Um, Gargoyles, you had um, a few others, but of course the standard bearer has to be Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. So can we just agree that Warner Brothers absolutely sh- shot themselves in the foot on how they handled Batman the Animated Movie? Yeah. Because that's yeah, how they it. The Animated Series? Oh, Fantasm, right. Yeah. Now, they sold the series really well. Mm-hmm. They shot themselves on the, in the foot on that movie in terms of how they handled it. Um, mm-hmm. For those that don't remember, this is how they handled the marketing of it. Um, first of all, the film was rushed to theaters. They were not playing. It was going to go direct to video. Mm-hmm. And at the last minute, they said, we're going to go to theaters. But what they did was they gave it a bizarre kind of weird poster. Mm-hmm. Um the Mondo one is really fantastic and actually sells the film. Mm-hmm. They gave it kind of some odd trailers that didn't really sell it. Um, mm-hmm. They said so they sh- rushed it to the, it came out on Christmas day, which that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And had they held it to January or February of 1994, I think it would have cleaned up. And then this is the, this is the, this is the worst decision I've ever seen a studio make. And here's the amazing thing. Two studios made the same decision the same day with mm-hmm. the same lead actress. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers and uh, Disney decided not to screen films for critics for that opened on Christmas Day. The problem is the two films they decided not to screen for critics were Batman Mask of the Phantasm and Tombstone. Now, Tombstone, there is kind of a story behind that in that the original director was fired, Kurt Russell ghost direct. Kurt Russell directed it with another guy ghost directing it. Like mm. he put his name on it, but Russell was really the guy that directed it mm-hmm. because of the studio rule. Um, Dana Delaney was the lead actress in both. And um, it's, it's, of course you may notice both films, as soon as I bring them up, you instantly know them. In both mm-hmm. cases, they didn't screen them for critics. It's widely felt Val Kilmer would have gotten an Oscar nomination had they screened it for critics. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I want to note that that there is some ex- that 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 happened, and it as a result we didn't get another Warner Brothers uh, comic book movie in theaters until um, in wide release until Teen. T- I guess it was Teen Titans Go to the movies. That was the first time. Hmm. This is true. And which that's awesome. That's an awesome movie. Yeah. I, I, love I, it. I got to see it in theaters. It's that's a kick ass film. That is a funny as hell movie. Mm. I love the Teen Titans Go movies. I, I think the show is great. I'm I'm all on board for it. But I'm gonna take a moment to to just briefly give my thoughts. We all know that I'm a huge DC animation fan. So and we're talking about adult animation. So can I just Zephyr invited me to have the space to talk about how I feel about the killing joke. And we've already done a cast on that. So you can listen to my thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, stop making R-rated animated movies. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. Um, yeah. The, the only thing I think I like that, uh, excuse me, is animated that they went like super risque on mm-hmm. uh, is the Harley Quinn show. Yeah, yeah, that, that I haven't gotten to that yet. I've heard that's really good. Oh, it's it's really funny. It's basically uh, Venture Brothers if it was done by DC. Cool. 
Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about that. Um, it's, it's, it's exactly that. Also, then, Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Who he's got, all over DC Universe. He is, and he's all over animation mm-hmm. at this point. And for oh, yeah. reason, he's an A-grade voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let me let me just absolutely rant about this. I'm not saying that all the movies are bad. Gotham by Gaslight is fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. It is. And it, 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 Gotham by Gaslight is gorgeous. It is. It's actually probably their most visually stunning. Because the whole like, Zephyr, are you familiar with the concept of this one? I have seen uh, Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. I have not, but I know. Oh yeah, you were the one. That was, you were the one that was agreeing with me. That's, that's sometimes the. I uh, I know that it was was originally going to be a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they made it into a, an animated thing instead. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, what I, so, what I, but, but, but here's the point that I want to make. Gotham by Gaslight is amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. It's Batman. It's steampunk Batman. It's yeah, steampunk Batman, and it's amazing. It is. I uh, dig. Uh, it's so cool. Um, I love that movie. And I really love Suicide Squad, Hell's Pay, but that movie underlines what I think is a real big problem with these movies, which is they're R-rated to the extent that they just really want to hit you with the gore and violence. But that is the closest they come to nudity. There's a couple of frames of a woman getting out of uh, a pool she's been skinny dipping in. Are you bullshitting me? Are you guys that afraid? It's like you can... Okay, spoilers for the new Justice League movie because I've seen stills of it. Starfire gets cut in half in it. Starfire, you know, the really popular character that little girls love. She gets cut in half. Why? why but, but you're afraid of a little nipple? Come on. That's, that's, that's bullshit. And they're afraid of the, they're bizarrely enough, they're afraid. We talk about how movies are saturated in language. They're afraid of the F-bombs in these. They're, these movies are bad, y'all. Uh, a lot of them are just gore fests. I see that Death in the Family is good. So saved. This is the uh, second segment. Okay, we're going. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, Bruce Smith was the Zephyr pointed this out. Bruce Smith was the director of Baby's Kids. Mm-hmm. Since we got to wrap this up, I do want to point out that there was one really ambitious attempt at a big PG-13 animated epic. Big budget. Studio got behind it. Huge release, and I'm sure that none of you have thought about it in years, but Beowulf. Beowulf. Oh, yeah. I saw it in theater. I did, too. I'm not shocked it's faded from memory because it's sort of tonally completely wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's that well animated. It's that bizarre motion capture bullshit. It doesn't Mm -hmm. look that good. Which, uh, aside from... Aside from Tintin and wanting a sequel, uh, I'm yeah, kind of glad that faded out of um, yeah. out of usage. But then again, does Tintin even really count? Because first of all, they did go kind of stylized on it, trying to get the Herge look. Yeah. Secondly, it was Steven Spielberg. I mean, mm-hmm. the man wasn't going to use the technology without knowing what he was doing. God, I love the adventures of Tintin so much. I, ugh. Again, mm-hmm. still kind of a kid's movie. But it's up there with um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in terms of showing, holy yeah. shit, which is 
I don't yeah. even. That's going to be its own full cast at some point. Let's just agree we're going to get into into the Spider Verse because oh, holy yeah. shit, is that an absolute? You're like, oh cool, they're going to do a Spider Man animated movie, and then it's oh they're going to do a Spider Man animated movie that is going to absolutely do to animation what Fury Road did to live action. I remember being shocked when uh, when uh, yeah they showed that in theater. It's like oh this is not. A directed video, interesting. Like, oh, it's exactly so gonna not. come out. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Is it? I mean, it won best animated fe- feature for a reason. It did. And then it they, you know, gorgeous. I remember when they dropped the first trailer, and it's like, oh, okay. You know what the okay. smart thing they did with the first trailer was? Is mm-hmm. it's the birth of Miles Morales, and that's the entire yeah. focus of the trailer. Is they knew those shots were enough to tell you, okay, you're gonna watch this, and it's gonna blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And they're right because that is, and that's not all the stuff in the movie, but that is the best part because it's mm-hmm. mind blowing climax. Oh my! But again, that one kind of still falls into the gray area of it's kind of for kids too. It's it's for all ages. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a Spider Man fan and you hated that movie, I seriously want to. I got questions for you, okay? Yeah. I don't. I actually bought the uh, digital copy so that I could get all of the special features. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the thing about Beowulf that I just want to say. I think Beowulf, it's forgotten for a reason. And I don't know. I just don't feel like there's any, I feel like, I just don't feel like there's any interest in trying to do a new adult animated movie. You'll hear talk of it every so often. Of course, we got Sausage Party, but that's just more of a crudity. I I was going to bring up Sausage Party, which is literally, it's food fight with a foul mouth. Who gives a shit? So, once is now we're forgetting one other adult animated film. Which one? Scanner Darkly. God Ah. damn it! God damn it! That's like that's like. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned it. And that was the reaction I really wanted to hear, Austin. Thank you so much. Okay, (laughs) Scanner Darkly is a masterpiece, and Mm -hmm. I. That's just all there is to be said. Is Scanner uh, Amanda is a huge, huge fan of it, and she had me watch it. <sighs> First of all, a Scanner Darkly is part of the reason that when people act as if suddenly they've noticed Keanu Reeves is awesome, I'm like, wait, he was doing this in Constantine in 2005, 2006. You do understand mm-hmm. that, right? He's been awesome for a long ass time. By the mm-hmm. way, the uh, you, you know the poster, like yeah. the uh, the one where they're behind blinds and they're looking through. Yeah. Uh, for four years, uh, when I had my apartment, the back door had blinds on the window, and I had the poster up between the window love and the blinds. Love it, love it. The whole I... time. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, a Scanner Darkly is Richard Linklater. Of course, he also did Waking Life. Linklater has played with animation. Linklater has played with animation. It's rotoscoped, but it's mm-hmm. for a reason. And that's to convey the feeling of a drug trip. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, is it effective? Oh my god, I don't, I don't even want to talk too long about a scanner darkly. I just want everybody to just stop it and go go watch it. It is it's a masterpiece. It is probably the truest Philip K. Dick adaptation we're ever going to get. Which is why I've heard because it's the one that actually really tried to follow his book and did just mm-hmm. go, oh, it's a cool idea. I'm going to jump off on this. Mm-hmm. No, it's a real Philip K. Dick adaptation. Oh my. God, it's good. Um, that was uh, uh, completely misadvertised as to what it was. It's it's 
it is it's a trip is what it is i yes zephyr i'm so glad you stopped me because no i would have been pissed if i'd realized we'd gotten this all this way and not dealt with it it's, here's the thing i i have a list for this cast mm. of stuff to discuss and that was on there so now there have been some adult animated films mm-hmm. as well, 2015 has two of them of note. One of them absolutely stunning, and one of them is a fucking piece of shit. Which ones? Okay. The shit one is the stop-motion film Helen Back. Yeah. yeah. Look yeah. it up. Look it up. It's... I remember when it came out. haven't seen it. It's, it's not good. There's mm. nobody likable in it. Mm. It's on Netflix. I, I still think it is on Netflix and mm-hmm. but it's it's bad. Now if you want something that's actually adult and good, there's the other stop motion film of twenty fifteen. Anomaly so mm-hmm. exactly. Charlie Kaufman. The great What's it called? Anomaly Huh. The guy Charlie Kaufman. What, and, wow. and really, that's one where, let's just leave it at that. It's a stop-motion animated film from Charlie Kaufman. Can that, like, be enough of a selling point and just, you just go with that? It's really one of the only adult film, like, truly adult films that I've yeah. seen in the theater. Like, I saw it at my uh, art house theater. Yeah. Ooh. And I'm glad I did because, like, we could have gotten in our, like, this could have won Best Animated Feature. Yeah. I I don't remember what did, but I do remember the Minions introduced the Best Animated Feature nominees that year. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, one other good animated film would be uh, Loving Vincent. Yes, the uh, paintings. Yeah, the paint- yeah. And really, that's all we've gotten as of late. Because yeah. even then, adult animation is... You really have to dig deep. Yeah. You actually have to go out of your way to watch adult animation and even then there there there's some good stuff and bad stuff the bad stuff which i'm just going to dive into right now Mm -hmm. okay let's talk about steve cuts for a moment okay um basically all you need to do is watch the music video for are you lost in the world like me uh, by Moby and the Void Pacific Choir. And that's all you need to know about his aesthetic. It's okay. it's a very uh, Fleischer-esque, but also beating you with a fucking sledgehammer with the uh, society is bad, we are monsters okay. type of thing that has l- literally been throughout his his work. Uh, he he recently did an updated version of his man short. 
which is literally a man tromping through the wilderness and exploiting the Earth's resources, and you get to a landfill, and, you know. Yeah. But for 2020, because of COVID, it's animals coming back to life, and with the whole... Uh, first step eco-fascist idea of maybe we were the virus the whole time, which God, no. which if you did that shit stop it mm-hmm. just, go home and be ashamed go home and be mm-hmm. ashamed of yourself that's just, now, I don't even want to keep going into that that sounds awful yeah mm-hmm. like are you lost in the world like me is all you need to know about his aesthetic video itself and the song itself it's good but don't go beyond that um now if you want good shit because i know we all want that uh let's talk about sally Cruikshank for a brief moment uh female animator not enough of those working. Yeah. Uh, best known for uh, Quasi at the Quackadero. Uh, she did the uh, animated sequence in the Twilight Zone movie. Mm-hmm. And, as well as uh, some title sequences for uh, 80s films like Madhouse and She Devil. And uh, collaborated with uh, Danny Elfman. For uh, Face Like a Frog, which in itself is Danny Elfman doing classic uh, Danny Elfman in his Oingo Boingo days, in which the band itself is also credited, where he is in his Forbidden Zone Minnie the Moocher character. Cool. Beautiful. I love it. Fucking great. Sounds great. And then on the flip side of that, uh, Bill Plimpton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems like that's, that's, yeah, I'm glad we're going to get to go out with Bill Plimpton. Yes. Yeah. I, right. I've been binge watching his uh, feature length films, and mm-hmm. it is absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. to see his style evolve. Yes. I, uh, I remember first my first exposure to him was the Windows 95 Companion CD. Mm-hmm. Yes, where he did yes. the commercials. Uh, yeah. That was cool. And yeah. uh, then, of course, he did a couple Weird Al videos. Yeah, which, uh, yes. Uh, don't download the song. Which, uh, when I saw his, which movie did I see? He came to the Casey Film Festival like a few years ago and i got to meet the man uh was it uh cheating yes i believe that was the one okay because mm-hmm. cheating is beautiful it is it's like, like it's like i know he had like a team um uh but it, he does like he does most of it right <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. a very small team, and all pretty much all of the stuff that he's done is him. Ooh, 
incredible. He's, he's an artist. Uh... Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, even start at the very beginning of his feature films, like The Tune and I Married a Strange Person, which Ooh. the second one, well, The Tune is Bill Plimpton's version of The Point, essentially. Ooh. And then I Married a Strange Person is him emulating Cronenberg and his body horror aspects. Yeah. Oh. It's a beautiful thing. And then the follow-up to that, uh, like Mutant Aliens and Hair High. Hair High is the exaggerated animated 50s film that Bakshi's Hey Good Looking should have been, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. Because there's no redeeming value in hate good looking. Well, you know, part of the re- what happened with that film too, and this is not in any way uh, ex- Vinny's explaining what was wrong with it, was that he was planning it to be a mix of live action and animation, and then very late in the game decided to go full animation. Yeah, you you can't do that. You you can't make that shift late in the game. Ooh, yeah. I mean, Bakshi did do live action and animation for a good portion of his early theatrical work, especially mm. with uh, uh, heavy traffic and coonskin, yes. effectively. Mm. Yeah. But uh, getting back to Bill Plimpton, oh my god. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watch uh, the tune, I Married a Strange Person, Hair High, and cheating those are the ones that you really ought to watch yeah mm-hmm. um i i ended up watching uh his latest film revengeance this morning and hmm. it like the stylistic difference between that and cheating is night and day cool hmm. but with like revengeance he's more so within like a limited animated uh, style, which he uh, did animated sequences for in the indie documentary The Brainwashing of My Dad, which discusses how Fox News is evil. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and uh, what was it? But yeah, today uh, Criterion announced that they'll be hosting uh, Bill Plimpton's feature films on their channel at the end of August. Very cool. We will, let's really try to get this out in time for that to be something that people can get exposed to because that's that's and, really cool. Yeah. And even then, you can actually watch the vast majority of his work on Tubi because yeah. uh, because Ooh. of a Shout Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful. So, yeah. Shout Factory is excellent. I recommend their entire catalog. I gotta be honest, that feels like that feels like about as perfect of a note as I can think of to go out on. Mm-hmm. Is Plimpton. And I mean adult animation is one of those things. It's probably always gonna be like this, frankly. But we have to cherish what good is there. We have to uh, roll mm-hmm. our eyes at the bad and just I don't know, I don't know what else to say. Uh uh, Hertzfeld. I, I forgot Hertzfeld. Yeah, we gotta get Hertzfeld mm-hmm. in there. Hertzfeld's great. Man, there's some really good indie voices. Um, and I'm sure we'll kick ourselves later realizing we should have listed someone else, but that's fine. We, we, we have a blog for that reason. 
Yes. And other animation outside the U.S. is another cast for another time, as well as Western tele- animated television, which... We'll get to all of it in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a vast topic. Very much so. Well, well. Yeah, 2D, 2D animation lives on in indie and American television. Yep. Yeah. Huh? Honestly, yeah. there's not much more I can say without going into nope. world animation, so... Uh, mm-hmm. We will talk to y'all later. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.